Welcome to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we will explore the interesting stories of business executives, entrepreneurs, and industry leaders who are shaking things up and growing their companies. It is time to make some waves. Now, here's your host, Tom Singer. Oh my gosh, you have found another episode of Making Waves at Sea Level. Thank you so much for picking this little podcast. I know that there have been over 2 million podcasts that have been started, and I'm grateful for every one of you who tunes in and listens to the episodes right here on Making Waves at Sea Level. Before we get started, I've got to thank the first sponsor of this episode. This episode is brought to you by Stanton Chase International, one of the leading global executive search firms serving as trusted advisors to help companies build their senior leadership teams. And I actually work for Stanton Chase, so if you're looking to grow your company and you need somebody in that director, VP, or C-suite, check us out. You know, if you're going to talk to an executive search firm, you might as well talk to this one because it's the best. So that's Stanton Chase International. All right, today we are going to talk to Luke Siminer, and he is a former paratrooper. He was wounded in Afghanistan. He became a software engineer, and he now helps the blind and vision impaired people get into the workforce. It's a really cool company. It's called Clusive, and he is the CEO and the founder. Hey, Luke, welcome to Making Waves at Sea Level. Thank you for having me, Tom. I'm excited to be here. Well, first of all, thanks for your service. Thank you. Thank you. So why did you start Clusive? So I started Clusive, really, my, my first engineering job is where we kind of have to start at. My very first engineering job, um, I got hired on. I kind of had imposter syndrome. was really happy to be there, though, <laughs> of course. And they came under Title III litigation, which was essentially ADA noncompliance of the digital assets. Uh, and they were going to pay a consulting firm a crazy amount of money. Um, it was going to take multiple months to, to figure this out. And we'd still have to deal with the lawsuit because we essentially wouldn't hit the time to cure. So the CTO and CEO sent out a message. They said, oh, man, does anybody have experience working on you know, accessible engineering, uh, all the standards that are part of this? Because, you know, we're, we're kind of in trouble here. And I suggested that we 1099 my stepdad who happened to be blind. And that... That was the first piece of it, you know, and then the second piece, the credit goes to that C-suite team who gave me the, gave me the opportunity to do this, you know, took the risk and chance on me and my stepdad. And within about a week, you know, we had mitigated almost all the accessibility issues, created some of the most accessible um, insurance rating apps uh, in the, in the ecosystem of that, you know, and at the very end of it, you know, we, it was a big celebration. We're all happy. It was a big win. Uh, We'd mitigated the lawsuit, saved the company millions, but what really, kickstarted my ideations on how to how to change the world if you will was my stepdad turning to me and you know he's kind of sad and he says Luke for the for the first time in my life I feel intellectually valued and that was when I realized like this isn't a capabilities issue with the blind community it's a lack of access to training you know my ability to train him up on what mattered for this technical task in, in a very short period and then have him perform it you know consistently and almost perfectly so we could solve a major corporate issue um, it just showed me that you know outside of this one-off thing nothing like that exists and every other blind person in America and in the world also doesn't have access to training so how how do we bring them into the modern workforce and that's where it all began wow what that is an awesome awesome story and I was checking out your website before we did the interview and I noticed that like the average and I, I'm probably messing this up the average 
person who is vision impaired or blind only makes about $28,000 a year. And with the training that you're able to provide already, just as the company's getting started and going, it can, in some cases, allow people to more than double their income with the type of training that they can get so they can enter into the workforce, which makes them able to earn more money, makes them feel more valued, et cetera. So tell us a little bit about that. Definitely. So the first two pilots, we'll just reference off of that. The first two pilots involved 15 people. Uh, They netted us a 100% placement rate, meaning 100% of them got placed into jobs that they wanted or were kind of excited about. Um, In contrast, the average government or vocational rehab rehab agency's placement rate is about 20%. Um, So giant increase there. And then the average salary was 1.8x what they're making prior. So some of them did double it. Some of them came close to doubling it. Uh, and everybody made a lot more money. And what that really scales to in the long run here is Clusive is a company, and not many startup founders can say this, but we're a company that, you know, when we succeed, we will ultimately change the GDP of America. Uh, we're taking people that are reliant on SSDI and Medicare because of a lack of opportunity right now and turning them into net income creators, net earners. And so it's very powerful. So how many people are there in the United States, just just keeping it, not even going global yet, just in the United States that are blind or visually impaired? Do you know those stat, those stats? So if we if we cut the barrier at legally visually impaired, right, uh, seven and a half million and about three, three and a half million are to the point where they could not drive unassisted or anything like that. So it's a, it's a large number and it grows year by year as macular degeneration and other causes become more prevalent uh, within our society. Nice. Nice. And I imagine also being a veteran, there's probably a large and uh, growing number of veterans who come out with some sort of vision problems from, from being involved in war or other things. Yes? Most definitely. TBI, which is one of the most uh, prevalent mechanisms of injury in the, the war on terror, has can have a huge impact on eyesight and longevity of eyesight. So um, even those that aren't directly wounded in their eyes, uh, there's lots of lots of carryover and lots of help for the future in this. So did you always see yourself as an entrepreneur? Was this something you thought, oh yeah, this is where I want to go? Or was that something you sort of stumbled upon? You mentioned sort of getting into that first engineering job and having that, that little case of imposter syndrome. So give us a little bit about sort of the, the, the psyche behind becoming an entrepreneur. Definitely. I don't think I always viewed myself as an entrepreneur at all, but that's maybe because of naivety, right? I always loved being the underdog. If there was a challenging position in the army, a selection to go to a a course, you know, and after the army, if there was a job that was hard to get, if there was a class that was hard to get an A in, I always just made myself the underdog. And I found that that was when I thrived. That was when I, you know, that's when I didn't mind not sleeping that much. <laughs> and everything else kind of disappeared with the, with a positive kind of tunnel vision. Um, so in hindsight, yeah, I guess I kind of always was building the blocks and the skills needed for it, but uh, I didn't, I didn't necessarily foresee it. You know, it just came, an opportunity came up and I said, this is what I commit myself to. So now that you've been doing it for a while, what do you love about the life of being a startup founder? Instantaneous accountability. You know, there's this, there's this thing in the corporate world where you can kind of, you can have an off week, maybe even an off month. Some people you could probably have an off year. Uh, but if you're a founder and you're not continuously planting seeds, if you're not continuously having the conversations, pushing the edge, even on the days you don't feel like it, you know, you've probably got a less than one week turnaround before you realize, wow, I could have gone harder last week. And that's, you know, it's kind of why we're in the dumps. Like my emotional connection to my business and the work I do is uh, I've never been more connected. So one of the things you mentioned to me that, that you like to focus on in business is momentum. Yes. How do you get it? How do you grow it? 
to get more of it. So let's talk about momentum. For you, what does momentum mean and why should people listening really care about this? I think momentum is the uh, is the notification you get. Imagine, you know, you've got an investment in a, in a dividend stock, right? And it's the notification you get when that dividend pays out. Um, to me, momentum is the result of compound interest. And it starts out, it's really hard. It starts out kind of as an act of faith. You know, when you, especially when you first start a company with a crazy idea like this one, you know, no one really believes, no one really cares. And people think, oh, cool, your social impact, whatever, whatever. Um, but you have enough of these conversations. And finally, you stack enough validation that you, you start leveling up bit by bit by bit. And if you look back in the retrospect of like, you know, maybe a two-month window or a three-month window, you'll realize the problems you have today are problems you would have killed to have a month ago. Because, yeah, they're bigger, more challenging, but the outcomes are way more important. And so, to me, that's, that's kind of what momentum looks like. You know, it's, it can be a happy and euphoric feeling, but it can also be like, I am in the trenches, head down so busy, I can't barely breathe. But wow, look at the problems I'm solving right now. Uh, it's not always in the form of a check or a big win or something like that. Um, and what I found, too, is that there's no such thing as stasis. In, in my opinion, you know, we never stay the same. We're either going forward or backwards. There's, there's no gray area on this. And uh, so when you, when, you big, when you make a big win, when you win that pitch competition, you get investment, you get a customer or whatever it is, um, if you take a long touchdown dance, that's just as bad as stopping. You know, maybe even worse, right? Because people watched you do it. Um, and so, you know, I take a little touchdown depth. It's very metered. I tell the, I tell the team, I pass it on to the team. I'm like, hey, guys, we killed it today. Like, this is what happened. Um, and then I utilize that momentum. My win days are probably the days I work the latest because I like to run off of that momentum and plant more. I call them success seeds. I like to plant more success seeds because I know they'll come to harvest soon. So why do you think a lot of people can't find momentum? I mean, there's so many people out there who, who are in startups who they have a great idea and they get started and then flunk, they just, they just hit the wall. I think that, you know, and I'm, I'm, I can only speak from my point of view on this, but having a mission that's bigger than me is what, is what does it. Uh, a lot of startups I've witnessed in the accelerators and other programs I've been in, these, these people come in and they have all sorts of ambition and energy, like you said, um, but eventually they just sputter out and then they disappear and fall off the map. And I think what I've always correlated it to is they don't, they're chasing just money, right? Which money is great. We all want it. Uh, but I have a, I have a purpose, you know, this mission has to succeed because I'm changing the lives of millions of people. And thus, even when I have a bad day or my back hurts, or I'm tired, whatever, had a bad phone call, the next one, the next one matters because I'm winning, I'm waging this war for, for someone else. Some, a lot of people that's bigger than me. So I think having the proper purpose and I think having your life aligned to where you can truly commit yourself to this is some of the biggest parts of momentum. Outside of that, it's the intangible faith, right? Are you willing to bet on yourself that you can continually win uh, even when you get the doors open that you want? So let's talk about that in, that intangible piece. You know, what is it inside you that, that makes you bet on yourself? What is it inside you that, that helps you create more momentum? Because you got to have a bad day here and there. I definitely do. And I, I think it's being formidable. That's my favorite word, right? And it starts internally. It's self-discipline. I say I'm going to do this, and it could be so small as taking a walk in the morning. I'm going to walk every morning this week. But when you do that, that's great. Then the next week, you're going to add reading for 30 minutes before you go to work in, right? Whatever it is, and these are just daily task examples. But when you start to respect yourself for the things that you do, when you internally know you don't want to do, that presence carries into meetings, into who you talk to, into the people you 
you know, work with. Um, and eventually that formidability turns into faith. You're like, I know that the odds are against me, but I also know that I've got a very great track record of beating these odds time and time again. And I'm a formidable person. Maybe it's not easy or direct, but I'm going to make it happen. So Luke, I talked to a lot of people on the show who are former military and I find that there are certain areas where you tend to find a lot of success in entrepreneurship. One is the military, another is professional athletes, uh, college level athletes, et cetera. Why do you think, what do you think the military teaches you when it comes to being able to lead a company, start a company and build this momentum? I think that, you know, I, on the enlisted side of things, the officer side of things, they, they probably have a lot better business acumen, organizational leadership structure, right? On the enlisted side of things where, you know, I was a grunt. I didn't, I didn't get taught much more than how to read a book and point my machine gun in the right directions, right? But the, uh, I think what it really does is the interpersonal level, you know? You learn, you learn the difference between succeeding despite adversity and succeeding because of adversity, you know? And in the military, especially when, you know, you go to war, uh, you are going to lose people. It's an inherent part of your job. And, you know, you can say, well, we're going to win. We're going to do all right, you know, even though this happened. Or you can take the, the 100x, 1,000x, maybe million x stronger mindset of saying, hey, we went through some dark times. Um, and because of that, we now know we now know why we're going to win. And even, even me speaking that right here, it's a much more emboldening, like, oh, feeling. And the same thing happens in business. Yeah, we took a kick on the chin. You're going to take a 1,000 of them. Um, but I'm going to succeed because of them, because that investor goes to me, because that, that customer was really mean. I'm going to handle the next situation so much more enthusiastically, better. I'm going to defeat this objection, whatever, however it is. I'm going to succeed because of what I've gone through. And I think that's something that, you know, without the professional athletes, without the, you know, the military, where you're exposed to just a ton of adversity and really hard mentally trying times, uh, you, you probably don't have the chance to learn that lesson. So, Luke, I've got a couple more questions for you. But first, I have to thank the other sponsor of this episode. So this episode, like all of them from almost the very beginning of this podcast seven years ago, this episode is brought to you by Podfly Productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment, training, and guidance to ensure you're going to sound amazing Podfly does all the heavy lifting and that pesky technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing really cool people like Luke. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, and I know, I know that some of you do, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and check out the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. So Luke, right before I read the commercial, you brought up sort of the military and, and sort of teaching that mental toughness. How important do you think it is for a CEO who wants to shake things up, who wants to make waves in an industry and, and, and push forward through the jungle? How important do you think mental toughness is? Incredibly, incredibly tough, uh, incredibly important. You know, I, I think that the agility to be mentally, the mental, it kind of goes chicken or the egg. The mental toughness required to be agile and how you handle people in situations. Um, and also the, you know, agility required to be mentally tough when you need to and very empathetic and sympathetic when you need to. Um, I think that that can be one downfall of the professional athlete military leader is we have the ability to compartmentalize at a very efficient streamlined level. It can come off as cold or mean, and really it's, you know, we're focused on the mission. Let's lick our wounds after, but you gotta, you gotta really, 
style flex on who you're talking to and what, what team member you're, you're coaching on, you know? So what advice do you have for people who have an idea? They want to start their own business. Maybe like you, they, they work for somebody else and, and they have an idea or they did a project and they're like, oh, I could turn this project into a business like you did. What advice do you have for them for being able to even get started? I would say the most powerful thing you can do is make a phased plan, right? Call it, you know, call it 12 steps to starting a business or whatever. Um, the first, the first two or three that I would say are most important are, you know, line up your discovery phase. What do I need? How much will it cost? Can I make money? What type of business is it? Answer those critical questions. You know, is it venture back? Well, is it a lifestyle? Is it, you know, and that'll help you determine who you need to talk to. A phase two would be like, okay, this is an actionable idea. How do I set my life up to do this? Can you develop passive income? Uh, to where you can focus on this full time. And if not, you know, how do you, how do you mark out your part-time hours? What are your family and relational considerations? How do you make your life sustainable as a part-time founder? Because the reality is I, I don't know that such a thing exists. I think you can start that way, but very quickly to get, you'll, you'll learn to get where you want to go. It has to be a day in day out type of deal. Yeah. There's, there's an old Texas saying, if you chase two pigs, you won't catch one. Yeah, I think, I think that's exactly right. So it's, you know, it, this won't, and I, I would say the biggest thing is understand that this will not come without sacrifice, no matter how set up you are. <laughs> so let's talk about those sacrifices. What are some of the sacrifices you've had to make along the way to be able to get this business funded and up and running? Definitely. I, I think mine may be a little asymmetrical, but I, I also don't know. But for me personally, I found that, you know, I, if you ask me how many business books I've read in the starting of this, I would say maybe one, maybe one. I've, I've read 20-something books uh, in the course of the year doing this. And they've all been philosophy. They've all been boat-based boat and focused on uh, improving myself as a man, as a human. And a lot of that growth, the more growth I found personally, the more I've uh, developed the business, the more things have come my way, more people have aligned with me. And with that being said, you also learn what doesn't align with you. So one of the biggest ones is cutting things and people off. You know, I no longer go drink every weekend. I... Uh, I lost a relationship because a lot of things in it just weren't taking me where I wanted to go. I restructured my life to where, you know, I go to the gym, I go to Costco and I work and, you know, I make a point to cut out time so I don't burn out. But there is, you know, a lot of multi-layered sacrifices that like you won't even know the true effects to. And then once you start making traction and you start making, you know, you get a big article written about you, um, you know, your dating life kind of changes and you have to be, you know, you have to be careful and you're, you're considerate of everything going on around you. You essentially inject yourself into a new world. <laughs> so you bring up an interesting point that another young founder of a tech company here in Austin, Texas, told me the other day. And that is, he said there was a whole class of people who wanted to date him because he was the founder of a tech company and, and he didn't like that. And so it's like, you know, is, is that a real thing? Are there people who like see an article about you and think, oh, wow, there's, you know, dollar signs or, or whatever they see. And suddenly that becomes something you have to like a celebrity has to like, are they with me because I'm famous or, you know, because they like me? Is that a real thing? You know, it is. And it's pretty funny because they've, uh, I luckily found a good one, right? I did. Um, who was completely oblivious to anything that I had going on in my life. <laughs> I loved it. Um, she's very focused in her own professional career. But prior to meeting her, I did experience that. And it was kind of funny because they come at you thinking you're rich. And I'm like, I, I don't know if you understand how a venture capital <laughs> <laughs> how a startup, how a startup <laughs> works. Yeah. 
yeah, I'm raising the money to pay other people, not myself. So like, I hope you like ramen. (laughs) So you said you focused very heavily on sort of personal growth and philosophy. So what are some of the things you've learned in regards to that, that you can apply as a business leader? Oh man. Um, that's, I actually made a, a deck about it because I wanted to not forget them, but you know, things like being formidable are one of the, the biggest keys, biggest piece to that pie, piece of that pie. Um, the other things are really how you handle, you know, adversity. Like I don't have lessons. I have, I don't have losses. I have lessons. You know, anytime something stings, the sting is merely there to tell me to extrapolate the lesson from it, you know? And if I fail to do so, it'll continue to sting. Um, and I, I, you know, a lot of it, I, I went through a big piece of adversity when I kind of fired a co-founder and things didn't really go the way I wanted to. So what I, you know, what I had to balance there was, do I go, do I go nuclear wage full out war and like, you know, chop the, the head off the snake or do I kind of be passive and keep being a good man, you know, and, and how do you balance that? Right. How do you protect the company, the interest, the mission, um, while being a good person? And I'm so thankful that that happened early on to me because that in of itself, you know, without going down a rabbit hole, that just led me to really make changes and understand that, you know, when adversity like that does come your way, you act swiftly and decisively and you don't look twice. Um, And when it comes to things that, you know, can be moved along, then you just do that, you know, and that's a vast oversimplification. (laughs) I love the comment, don't have losses, just have lessons. And so I think that that's something that I think great entrepreneurs learn learn really quick. I, I worked for an entrepreneur once and uh, one of him, this is back in the early days of businesses first starting to put everything on, on computers back in the 80s. And he was very much uh, pro-technology. So he moved everything onto his computer. And in those days, it was a lot easier than it is now to actually accidentally reformat your hard drive. And one of his employees was showing another employee how the computer worked with all the accounting and everything else and how the business was being run on this, you know, early, I mean, this is the the late 1980s, this early PC and the employee did something and it said, are you sure you want to reformat the hard drive? And this person was very computer savvy and she accidentally hit Y instead of N. And it was just like, she knew the answer was no, I don't want to reformat the hard drive. And she hit the wrong button and essentially erased everything that he had spent that year creating and, and everything else and a lot of things, including his fiance's dissertation uh, that was on the computer. Now, the good news about the dissertation was uh, she had already printed and submitted it for her PhD. So she was she was okay in the fact that it existed in, in a couple of hard copies, but the electronic version went zoop. Uh, and after he, you know, his initial reaction of almost, you know, pooping his pants, he came in and sat that employee down and had a long discussion and treated it as a learning thing for everybody involved. And, uh, you know, I'm still friends with this, this particular person. And he said, you know, that was a lesson that was worth it because he also learned the power of backing everything up. He said, he's had lots of technology issues throughout his career, but he's never lost everything again because of that particular thing. So, being able to quickly go from, ah, I want to kill somebody to let's make this a lesson and everybody move forward so that nobody ever makes a mistake of that level again. I think that's hard. How do you get there? I think that, I think that's a time and tempered skill. It's a muscle, right? Just like anything else. I, you know, 
I had a point, I kind of remember a point of inflection where I, I stopped being scared of like pitching big accelerators or pitching big investment firms or customers. Um, and I started to look forward to it because I realized, you know, that a no is just one step closer to my yes. You know, and it takes one yes to start the next five, you know, when you're an entrepreneur, when you're in this world. I don't know if that applies to anything else. But, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, start, I, I started seeking adversity and started seeking the challenges. Um, and that's when I think that, like, you, you really get lesson-oriented. Everything's an educational opportunity. All right, so as we wrap this up, what's one piece of advice that you think that every entrepreneur who wants to make waves and shake, shake things up and, like you, go down a path that hasn't been gone before and sort of create a whole new, a whole new way of doing things, what advice do they need to hear right now? I would say realize that there's a big difference between a preference, a decision, and a commitment. And if you can get yourself to be committed uh, to a business, knowing that, hey, you know what, I will die building this because this matters to me then nothing will get in your way. And that's, that's magic. Luke Siminer, that is great advice. So if people wanted to find out more about Clusive or find you, how would they do that? Uh, Clusive.io is our website. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn at my, my full name, Lucas Siminer, and, uh, and also Clusive. We're on Twitter, uh, LinkedIn, and Instagram. So all under Clusive.io. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us here on Making Waves at Sea Level. I hope that our paths cross again sometime. Awesome. Thank you for having me, Tom. Hey, and thanks to everybody who tuned in and listened. I say it every single episode. If it wasn't for the audience, why would we do this show? You know, we're closing in on seven years and 700 episodes of this show, Making Waves at Sea Level. It was originally called Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. I shifted it up because of some shifts in my career, and uh, we are always looking for CEOs who are making waves in business. So if you're if you're one of those people or your boss or your neighbor or your friend or your mommy, if somebody is an entrepreneur who knows how to make waves, reach out to me and let me know. All right, we're going to be back in a couple of days with an interview with somebody just as cool as Luke. And you're thinking, what? How will you ever find that? But we will, I promise. In the meantime, go out there, flex your own business muscles, make sure that your career ladder is against the correct wall because you don't want to climb the career career ladder, find out that your ladder was in the wrong place all along. I know because I did that years ago. Hey, and the last thing is while you're out there making waves, shaking things up, have some fun along the way. Go out there and have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast. Without your listening to these in-depth conversations, there would be no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter and Instagram at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.